listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we're dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you're listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. could not overcome and who wants to be one of the ones that hell could not overcome you're going to stand at the end of your life and you could say hell could not overcome me because I was part of the church of the Lord Jesus because he said I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it I know I've said I'm not going senile I know I say it every week but that's the track I'm in and that's what we're talking about and God doesn't want us to be a weak anemic church who doesn't have the ability to overcome anything he wants us to be the ones on top and never underneath and we're not supposed to be underneath the circumstances of life. We're supposed to be above them. Amen. That's the calling we've got. That's the mantle that we have in our life. And so the greater degree that we understand who we are and what he's given us, the greater amount that we can walk in. We're currently right now walking in the revelation that we have. So if we want to increase in the measure of what we're walking in, we simply need to increase in the measure of revelation that we have. The more revelation, the higher the manifestation. And so if we have complete Uh, revelation, we'll have complete application, and then we'll have complete results. Amen. And so we don't want to live with partial revelation. We want complete and full revelation. And so that's why we continue to grow. Say, I I am a grower in Jesus' name. Now I want everybody to say it. I I am a grower in Jesus' name. And I'm here to learn. Amen. So I'm going to teach you for a few moments. And so if you've got something to write with, you're going to want to write. If you've got your, uh, your phone and you've got a place to take notes, you're going to want to take notes because I'm going to go really fast and uh, I'm not going to slow down. I don't believe anyway. So I've got about five messages that I've got crammed into one. And it's because I've got 15 more messages that I just don't have enough time to get to. So I'm going to give you a lot. And this is going to be really important. Everything I'm going to say is going to apply to you. And it's going to be good for you to know. And it's going to be good for us to know together. And so one of the things that I like to do is I like to go back and look in the Old Testament and find pictures that depict where we're at now and depict who who Jesus is and who we are, all of those things. And one of the ones that I found that has really, uh, really captured my attention the last months has been Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, and I've really never heard this before, but the Lord began to, to show me this, but Nehemiah is or was a, a type, a shadow of picture of Jesus. And you know, Jesus and Nehemiah were both builders, right? Both of them had a mentality to build. Nehemiah uh, reconstructed the, the walls and Jesus built the church and is in the process of building the church. And if we cooperate with him, we can, we can work to build his church. Amen. It's an ongoing thing. And so we find these, these parallels there that are between Nehemiah and Jesus. And one of the greatest parallels that I've found, and we're going to get into this in a moment, is that Jesus captured the heart of the Father. And you can see this in his ministry, and you can see this in how he related to people and the things that he taught and the miracles that he did. And he always said, I'm about my father's business, and I'll say what my father says, and I'll do what my father does. And that was what Jesus did. Well, Nehemiah, and we're, again, we're going to see this in a moment, but Nehemiah captured the heart of God even to the point of weeping because of the destruction of the city. And that's what propelled him to go and be the builder that God called him to be. And he did this marvelous work in the city of Jerusalem and rebuilt the walls. Now, here's something I just found out recently that I thought was very interesting, is that from the time that Nehemiah built the wall until the time of the New Testament, God's people, the Jews, did not enter back into idolatry. 
Now, if you don't know much about the New Testament, that's, uh, that's a big deal. If you do know a lot about the, I mean, the Old Testament, that's a big deal. If, if you do know a lot about it, you'll know that that's a big deal. Amen? Because when you read, it's always like they, they flip-flop. It's like God delivers them. And they're like, oh, praise God, praise, you know, praise Jehovah. And then, you know, a year or two years later, they're worshiping some golden calf or just doing weird stuff. They're into Baal worship and they're doing all kinds of this wicked stuff. And then they go back into and they get captured and then God delivers them and they come out and then they praise God. And then they're, they're thanking God. And then a year or two or three years later, they go right back into the same stuff. But after Nehemiah built the wall, there was, I, I don't remember the time period, it was hundreds of years. I want to say, I want to say four or 500 years that whole time period, they did not enter back into idolatry. Now that's saying something there. And I believe that Nehemiah being a picture of Jesus did something that was so significant and long lasting. And Jesus being the one that he is, being the builder that he is, has captured the heart of God, has and is currently building something that has longevity. And I believe the church is going to end her days being strong, being powerful, being on top. And when you look, and, and I heard a, a minister say this recently, and I was like, whoa, it just totally blew my mind. He said, and this was strong, but he said, when you watch the RNC, he said, it seemed that the Republicans were standing up more for godly principles and for the church than many of the people, including ministers within the church. And when he said that, I was like, whoa, actually, that's true. And so, but I do not believe that that's our end. I believe our end is we are going to be on top that we're going to be shouting the gospel from the rooftops, that we're going to see tremendous miracles. We're going to be, see regions shaken. We're going to see nations shaken. And guess what? You are a part of that because you are a part of the church of the Lord Jesus. If you've been born again, you've been adopted into the family. You've been brought into his church. You've been brought into everything that he has and everything that he's given to me, he's given to you. Everything that he's given to Billy Graham, he's given to you. Everything that he's given to T.L. Osborne or any other great minister you could, you could think of or any other great man or woman of God, he has given to you. We have the fullness of the Godhead bodily lives on the inside of us because God himself dwells on the inside of us through his spirit. Amen? So we've got every single thing that we will ever need. We just simply need to know how to activate it. And so I'm in the mode of building, and so I've been thinking about building. I've been meditating on building, and I've been asking the Lord, Lord, show me some things in your word about building. And so I've got a few scripture verses here that I want to read, and we're going to do them really fast. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and it, you may not have time to turn there. What we can pull up on the screen, we will pull up on the screen. And we're just going to go fast. I'm not going to wait for everybody to turn there, but I've got to turn there myself. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And if we've got it up on the screen, then we'll go from there. But here we are, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9. And it says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Interesting how he says that we're God's field and we're God's building. Last time I checked, stones don't grow. But there's interesting paradigms in the kingdom of God, amen? Because we're made as living stones to where we're supposed to be solid, but also flexible in the Holy Ghost. We'll come back to that on another time. Verse 10, it says, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, notice the language here, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take 
heed how he builds. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now I want to look here in Ephesians chapter 2. Let's look in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at a couple more examples of the language or seeing the language of building in the scriptures. Ephesians 2 and 20, it says, Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Notice all of the language here. There's a lot of building. So God builds people. God builds his church. In verse 21, it says, In whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22, In whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God and the Spirit. So I just want to establish a a precedent here that God builds and that God uses people to build and God builds his people that he's using to build with. Let's look here at Ephesians chapter four, Ephesians chapter four and verse 11. You'll know this passage really well. It says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. In verse 12, it says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The word edifying there means literally, if you go and look it up, it means to build up or to build somebody up. So God is in the business of building people, and he's also in the business of building his entire church and everything that his church can do together. But it's something that has to be built. One thing you need to notice about building, because remember, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, that building is a, is a process of time. I don't know about you, but I've never seen a, an empty spot of land and then the next day drove by and seen a full uh, erected building there. Has anybody ever seen that? No. Why? Because it takes a process. It takes time for things to be built. This is true universally, but it's also true locally. So when the Lord is doing a work specifically in a region, in a church, it takes a process. It takes time to build. Now, here's what is cool is that we've been here for nine years. And I had someone recently ask me, they said, how long have you been pastoring that church? I said, well, um, which church are you talking about? You're talking about the church for the first six years or the church for the last three years? Because about three years ago, we had a major shift and things started to change because we got a hold of and we captured the heart of God and we began to move and walk and to build with the Lord. Amen? Because the thing is, is that we don't just have... We don't just have a law or a bunch of things written down that says do this A through Z. It's a walk with the Lord. We have a spirit covenant. The, the covenant that we've entered into with the Lord, it's a spirit covenant. That means that we commune with him. We fellowship with him. We spend time with him. And what's awesome is that the Lord, and I didn't used to think this was awesome because I'm like everybody else. It's like, show me the plans. Come on, let's do it. Let's get it done. And you want to have A through Z. It's like, you know, when you buy a, you know, a new bicycle and you got to put the thing together or whatever it is you got to put together. A new barbecue grill. We've had a couple of those and it's like in a thousand pieces and you got to put it together. And you've got instruction manuals, right? And it takes you from A to Z and you know you've got that thing in your hand and it shows you exactly everything to do. You know, building God's church is not quite like that. There are principles that are in the word that we build according to, but all of the individual strategies require us from hearing from the Holy Spirit because every region and every people and everything that's happening locally 
is different than where it is somewhere else because people are, are culturally different and different things going on, and God's called different churches to have a different thrust to them. You've heard the, the, the phrase, different strokes for different folks, which you might find in this church over here that are hearing from God. You'll find something a little bit different, a little flavor over here from that people that are hearing from the Lord, and that's fine. God designed it to be like that. That's not a problem. But how do we know to do those things? We have to keep coming back to him and saying, God, what's the next step? What's the next step? Because this isn't a barbecue grill. This is the church of the Lord Jesus, and it requires him to give us the input that we need to continue building with him the way that he wants us to build. And so we keep coming back to him and saying, okay, Father, we did this. Now, what's the next thing? Because you know what humans would do? If he, he, if he gave us A through Z, we'd say, thank you, Jesus. Got it. That's, what, that's just what we do. He knows us a lot better than we know us. So what he's, he's done it by design, and I really believe that like his heart skips a beat when we get to a place and we go, God, I don't know what to do. And he's going, oh, yes, yes, they're going to ask me. I know it. They might beat their head up against the wall for the next month or two until they come to their senses and realize they cannot possibly understand it without my spirit breathing life into it. But they're going to come and ask me. I know it. And when they do, I get to spend time with them. The Lord, this is what I found, is that the Lord is more interested in the journey than he is the end result. Now, he wants his end result because he will build his church. We will be the people that God's called us to be. But he loves the journey along the way. You know, he was gone for, Ron was gone for a, a week or something, whatever. They were out of town. And I wanted to hang with him a little bit. And I said, uh, you want to help me do something? And he said, yes. And then after a while, we were talking. And I said, well, really, we should probably quit talking and just start working. He's like, well, that's kind of why we're here. And I said, yeah, it is. And we got the thing done that we were trying to do, but we got to fellowship in the process. You know, the Lord, that's how he is. He loves for us to come to him and to spend time with him. Amen. And so that's how, that's how we can build with the Lord. So here's what we do. All right. We often, we classify people into, into different groups to, and we've always heard this. You're like, you know, you can basically break the whole world down into two people. You know, you can break all the, the politicians down into four people or whatever. And so I'm going to do that here this morning. I didn't really want to do that, but this really helped me because I, I started to ask the Lord, Lord, show me how to identify where people are at. Because everybody that, that walks through our doors and that comes in, I love every person the same. But not every person necessarily has captured the heart and has captured the, the goal and is really on board with what the Lord is wanting to do. So I began to ask him, Lord, show me, help me to be able to identify people. And the Lord gave me straight from his, his word. And we're going to go to Nehemiah. If you want to go ahead and turn to Nehemiah, you can. But the Lord showed me from Nehemiah how to classify um, different people, uh, different types of people in relationship to building. So you could classify people in a lot of different ways, but this is particularly when it comes to building. So Jesus said, I'll build my church. And so if he's going to build his church and we just, we just established from Ephesians and from 1 Corinthians that, that he uses people to build. It talked about he used apostles and prophets. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul said, as a wise master builder, I laid the foundation. Let he who builds on it be careful how he builds on it. So God uses people to build. Agreed? So we need to find out 
where we are at, and it's been good for me to help identify where other people are at. So I'm going to give you four classifications of what, a, what people are in, within the church in relation to building. And there's a lot of information I'm going to give you here, and I just pray your, your eyes can be opened up spiritually, and your eyes will be opened up naturally. Because if I don't do a lot of jumping around, sometimes people tend to fall asleep. So hang with me because I have a lot of information to give you. Can you handle a lot of information? Okay, so here's the four type of builders. And I broke the whiteboard out. That's going to help us. If you can read my handwriting, it will be the greatest miracle ever. Okay, so number one is a spectator. And if I don't spell it right, do not laugh at me because that's where I'm at. All right. Number two is a sand ballot. And you're like, what in the world is that? Hang with me and I'll show you. Number three is a, is a builder. And then number four is a Nehemiah. Now let me explain the difference between these. This one you could probably guess and doesn't need a lot of explanation, but a spectator is one who watches what is being built You ever seen anything built before that you sat and watched, but you didn't do anything with? That's what a spectator is. Amen. Everybody say, I know I'm loved. I might be a spectator, but I know I'm loved. Amen. A sandballot, and I'm going to show you this, so just hang with me, is one who hinders what is being built. All right? So a sandballot is one who hinders what is being built. I'm going to show you this from Nehemiah here in just a second. A builder is one who partners with what is being built. And a Nehemiah, so a builder is one who partners with what is being built. And a Nehemiah Nehemiah is one who is given to what is being built. I'm going to hit these two quickly, and then I'm going to focus on these two. But a spectator, one who watches, a sand ballot, one who hinders. You know, I I didn't understand this for a long time. But not everybody who comes into a church is on your side. To prove this from the word, you can look in Psalm chapter 2. In in verse 2, it says, Lord, why do the heathen rage? Why do they plot vain things against the Lord and the Lord's people? Right? And so there are people in this. See, I'm just one of those kind of people. At least I, I used to be more this way to where I would just look at somebody And I would just right off the bat, I'd give them the benefit of the doubt. And I still do that. But I also have come to understand that not everybody is on our side. I have dealt with sand ballots in the nine years that I've been here more times than I could, that I could care to tell you. And I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what sand ballots do here in a minute, but they, they literally, literally will bring accusation They'll come against, they'll, they'll lie, they'll do all kinds of things like that. Not everybody. And this is something that It's just good that you have this information and it's not that you need to go around being concerned, but it is really important to know that not every person that says that I'm of the Lord is really of the Lord. Some people say they're of the Lord, but they're totally full of the devil. It's true. There is an enemy who goes around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And I say that there's two primary ways that the enemy funnels his nastiness to us, God's people. The main way is through our thinking. It's how we think. He attacks our mind. And in that, he attacks our identity. But the other way is he will, he will use people 
that are given over to their flesh, that are just totally carnally minded, that are out for themselves, and he will use them to come in and try to disrupt the work that God is doing. If you are going to build for God, just automatically by default, you're building against the devil. He doesn't want to see. He, he wants to stop, and he doesn't want to see us accomplish everything that God's called us to accomplish. So it's really important that you understand that not everybody's on our side. Now, you shouldn't look around in suspicion because I can pretty much guarantee you probably every person in this room is at least not coming against us. And you fall into one of these other categories, a spectator, a builder, or a Nehemiah. And I'm going to help us identify those things. A builder is one who partners with what is being built. And I've learned the value of of partnering with people in ministry to where I see what they're doing. I see the work they're doing is good. And so I go in and I find ways to partner with them. I'm going to give more explanation to that. And the Nehemiah is one who is given to what is being built. This is where you find people like Liz and I, and there's some of you also in here who are also Nehemiahs. But Liz and I, as examples, we are given to the work that the Lord is doing here. Everything we do is about this church and about this work accomplishing everything that the Lord says it's supposed to accomplish. That's another level of being involved with something that is being built to where your life no longer belongs to you, but it belongs to accomplishing the work that God has called that thing to, to be done and for it to be accomplished. And that's a stretch for some people, but if I could title this message, what I would be, what I, how I would title it is probably in search of Nehemiah. God's looking for a Nehemiah. He's looking for multiple Nehemiahs. There's a lot of people. Everybody should fall into one of these two categories, either a builder or a Nehemiah. Lots of people fall in just as spectators. And spectators are, I think the phrase they use one time are harmless little blessings that get nothing done. Spectators don't hurt anybody, but they don't help anybody either. They come and they sit week after week, year after year, and they just watch. They just observe. They might shout an amen occasionally. They might do a little dance jig up here this morning or whatever, like I did. Uh, but they don't ever get involved with the building process. But God actually is looking for people to be builders and to build and or, and or Nehemiahs. And if you can get to the point to where you say, I'm going to start to get on board and I'm going to become a builder and I'm going to show you what that is. Then if God can have that, eventually he could place in you a heart like a Nehemiah or like a Jesus to where you, you have captured the heart and the essence of what God has for that particular people. Is this making sense to you? It's kind of like when you find somebody that's really, really passionate about something and you, maybe you can't understand why they're so passionate, it's because you haven't captured their heart for it. You know, when I was younger, I was really into hockey. And I played from the time I was seven years old, probably till I was about 12 or 13, I probably played hockey at least 20 hours a week. I mean, every evening, every Saturday, it was, I was on my rollerblades or on my, the four-wheeled skates, you know, was when I first started. Uh, playing hockey all the time. And other people could look at me and they could not understand why I was so passionate about it. And it's because their heart wasn't there, but my heart was there. 
That's probably not a really great example. I don't think we need, anybody needs to be that passionate about a sport, in my opinion. But anyways, whatever. It was pretty good and healthy for me while I was young. But that's what it's like when you see people that are, and you know, sometimes Liz and I feel this way. We're like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. This is awesome. Look what God's doing. And sometimes people are like, ah, man, I just, I just don't get it. But the Lord is looking for people to say, I want to get that. I see the passion. I see the zeal. And Lord, I know that there's things going on that are of you. I want to capture your heart for your people that I'm called to. So let me give a little bit more explanation to these, to these four things. If you're taking notes, this is where you're going to want to take notes because we're going to go really fast. A spectator, again, is just one who observes, who just watches what's going on. Let me give you one scripture verse for this that will... Uh, that will show just from the book of Nehemiah, I'm going to show you all four of these types of people in relation to building. I'm going to show you all four of these in chapter three of Nehemiah. And just to give you a little bit of background, basically Nehemiah captured God's heart. He began to move in God's ways. And when he did that, he went from, he went to Jerusalem and he was, he had the okay by the king because under that time, in that time they were under captivity. And so he went there and he began the process of building the walls. And if you read through chapter three of Nehemiah, it's largely boring because it says that this person built this and this person built this and this person built this. But right here in Nehemiah chapter three and verse five, right in the middle of this, it says next to them, the Tekoyites, those were the computer geeks back then, made, sounds like a computer person, made repairs, but their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of their Lord. And so here you have a whole list of people that were doing things, but then you had this one group of people who decided that they weren't going to do any work. Now they weren't coming against the work like a sand ballot is, and I'm going to show you that here in just a moment, but they didn't do anything. They sat and they watched and they were spectators. And so this is something that I, I really, my hope is, is that our eyes can be opened up to this and we can see the value because the word of God is so laced with richness. And if we can see the value of moving from a place of just watching to, to becoming a doer, then we can be a part of what God has called us to do and what God wants to have built. And I hear the resounding, oh, but Pastor Kent, we're called to be human beings and not human doings. Well, it says that we're created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So you're not supposed to work to, to get, but you're supposed to work because of what you've been given. And so if God has blessed you with everything he has spiritually, and he's blessed you with an awesome church, how many of y'all been blessed with an awesome church? The awesome people here. Then it's right for every person to take up their part and become a doer, become a builder with the hopes of capturing the heart of what it is that we're building like Nehemiah and like Jesus did. Amen? And so let me give you uh, four things, excuse me, five things. Actually, I'm going to talk about Sandballot quickly, and then I'm going to go into this. So I'm going to give you four things concerning Sandballot, what a Sandballot will do. And I'm going to show you this right from the word, but we're going to go to it quickly. Number one, a Sandballot will accuse. So Sandballot was one, he was a person that caught word that Nehemiah, was going to rebuild the city. He was going to rebuild the walls. And it doesn't give us all the reasons why, Nehemiah, why Sanballat was like he was. But 
And, and we could assume maybe there was jealousy, maybe there was whatever was going on, but either way, he was being used by the enemy because you can see that his works are that of the devil and not that of God when we get in to see what he does. But either way, he was being used to stop the work that God wanted to do. And I don't think I could overstate this, but always remember that if you're building for God, automatically the enemy is going, you're going to find yourself running into the enemy because he's always in opposition to everything that God is about. Actually, that can be a a sign that you're on the right track when you run into the devil. If you never run into the devil, I would wonder if maybe you're not going the same direction as the devil. But man, when you find yourself running into roadblocks and hindrances and things are happening, sometimes you can step back and go, you know what? We're, we're moving in the right direction here, and the enemy just wants to hinder what it is that God is doing. Amen? So let me show you four things here quickly that Sanballat does. Number one is that Sanballat will accuse. And this is found in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 4. If we could pull this up here so everybody could see it, Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 4. The first thing that he will do is he will accuse. Nehemiah 2 and 4 through 6. And I'm going to read it here for time's sake. It says, Then the king said to me, what do, you what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, if it pleases, that's the wrong passage. That's also a good passage. Help me, Jesus. Where did the right passage go? Everybody say, you got it, Bubba. It's actually in verse 19. Yes, yes, sir, there it is. Say, thank you, Jesus. Verse 19, it says, But then Sanballat, the Hornite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it. They laughed at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? And so here they were accusing Nehemiah of coming against the king. And I'm not going to take time to get into all the details of it, but if you go and read it, Nehemiah was not going against the king. As a matter of fact, he had specific instructions from the king that he could go and rebuild the wall. You can have instructions from God and you will have people that will come to you and say, what you're doing is not right and it's not of God. I've had people, <laughs> I've had people at different times in my life and in my ministry here and in other places that I'll know I have a word from God. And it's usually when I have that strong of a word that some uh, snowflake will rise up and try and come against what it is that I'm doing. Why? And it's because the power is in the word. The enemy wants to steal the word. He wants to steal the written word from your hearts, and he also wants to steal a word that God would speak to you that you could run with. Because the power is always found in the word. This is why it says in Mark chapter 4 that when the word is sown, immediately the thief, the enemy comes to try and steal that word from you. And so when the very time that you can have this, this zeal and this word from God to move in something, you'll find a sandball that often will come and start to bring accusation against you. I've had people accuse me of things, which I will not get into, that were so far removed from my character, it was unbelievable. I've been in meetings. I was in a meeting one time. I will say this. I was in a meeting one time, and, and this was when I was somewhere else. This is safe. I don't, want to, I don't want to talk about Perryville stuff. But um, I was in a meeting somewhere else, and, uh, and I went into this, this meeting, and we had to deal with these, these people, and they were so off. The guy was in 
total sin. And man, we loved this person. We helped them. We prayed with them. We didn't even have to set them down from the ministry position. They said, we need to step down from the ministry position. And we said, we agree. We're going to love you through the process and bring restoration, all that kind of stuff. We got out of the meeting and people were coming and saying, hey, why'd you guys kick these people out of the church? We said, what are you talking about? They said, yeah. They said, you kicked them out of the church. And me and the other person involved were going, what are they talking about? We didn't kick them out of the church. We did everything to love them. But for whatever reason, they went and they, they lied and accused us of doing things that we didn't do. You would have never thought. But man, when the devil gets a hold of people's minds and emotions, they'll do funny stuff. So you know where we stay at? We just stay in the place of love. We just pray for them. We just love them. But you got to realize that there's some people that are like that. All right. Sanballat also, the second thing Sanballat will do is we'll speak wickedness. And this is found in Nehemiah chapter 4. I think it's Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to look here. Second thing he'll do is speak wickedness. Nehemiah 4 and 1. It says, But it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish? Uh, rubbish stones that are burned. Now Tobiah, and Tobiah was one that was with Sanballat. The Amorite was beside him. And he said, whatever they build, if even foxes go up on it, he will break down their stone wall. And so here you find people speaking wickedness. Let me give you two more things quickly, and then I'm going to move on. Another thing Sanballat will do is uh, plan attacks that will bring about confusion. And so in the same chapter and verse 7, Nehemiah 4 and 7, it says, Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites <laughs> heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were being, uh, beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. Let me ask you something. Why would they be angry at something like that? My guess is that there was some form of jealousy probably that was involved. When you make progress in your life, you watch how people oftentimes around you will become jealous of what you're doing and not supportive of what you're doing. That's real stuff. And the people that are doing it, they don't really know oftentimes what they're doing. That's just their MO. That's their method of operation. That's how they go about doing life in general. But the deal is, is that they can do things in other places of life and it's not that big a deal. But when they come into the house of God with God's people and get involved with God's work and they operate in the nastiness of the flesh like that, then the enemy comes in right through it and will try and stop what it is that God's doing. I've had people, and I've seen this happen so much, people get totally jealous of other people working and doing things. When I see jealousy on somebody, man, I'll jump. I heard a guy say it like this, I'll jump on them like a chicken on a June bug. And when I see that jealousy, and I'll do it in love, but I'll go to them and I'll say, look, you are way off and you've got some problems and your actions are weird and goofy. And a lot of times, you know, they're not, they don't come out and just go, oh, I'm so jealous of that person. But they get vindictive. They'll speak wickedness. They'll bring accusation and they'll come against, they'll do those kind of things. Sandballots, see, the thing is, is that Sandballot, we're using that as a, as a picture, but it was the same devil that worked through people back then that would work through people today. It's some heavy revy right there, but it's the truth. The fourth thing that a Sanballat will do. Did I finish reading the third thing? I didn't. Verse 8 of chapter 4. 
And it says, and all, all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. And the enemy loves to come in and create confusion. Because where there's confusion in places, you ever been somewhere where you go and it's just like, ah, I don't know what's going on here. It could be that the heart, the vision, the anointing, the man of God is called, the woman of God is called, everything's set in order, but you got some sand ballot coming in and creating confusion, and it will cause people to run. Nobody wants to be involved in confusion. They're confused enough in their own life. They don't want to come into the church and be confused in the church. That's why when you see things that are out of order and when things are out of order, good, strong leadership will cause things to be set properly in order. Amen. Amen. And number four, this is a fourth thing that Sanballat will do. Everybody okay? Yeah. All right. As he will instill fear. Look here in Nehemiah 6.14. I told you I had a lot to read because I have to give you this information. Are you getting something out of this? Yeah. It says in verse 14, it says, My God, remember Tobiah and Sanballat according to their works, which were not good works, they were evil. And the prophetess Noadiah, which was someone else that they sent to prophesy in the name of the Lord, who was a false prophet, and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. Their goal was to instill fear in Nehemiah to get him to stop. Whoa, that is huge. The reason fear comes to you, and sometimes it'll come through people, sometimes it'll just come through your own thinking. Anybody ever been there before? You find yourself totally immersed in a fearful way of life or a thought pattern. You're like, what the heck am I doing here? The enemy will use fear to try and stop you from going forward. He'll try and get you to abort the thing that God's called you to, because if you're in fear, you won't want to go forward with what it is. By the way, side note, the spirit of fear is the, is the spirit of abortion. It's the reason why we have people that, by and large, are aborting babies is because they're afraid of what's going to happen if they continue forward with that. The spirit of fear is a spirit of abortion. So it's natural, but it's also spiritual. You can have things, listen to me now. This is a word for many of you sitting in here. God's placed greatness on you. You were born again into greatness. You and I, we were born again into greatness. But if the enemy can hold you in fear, you will abort the call of God on your life. So don't give heed to that, amen? Amen. I have to move on for time's sake. Can you track with me for a few more minutes? Everybody say, I got it. I'm with you. I'm hanging in there. I'm in for the meat. I can take it. I know you can. Let me show you some more about being a builder. I'm gonna show you five things here. And we could sp I could spend, I've got five things about being a builder and I could spend a week on each one of these things, but I'm gonna give you all five in five minutes. Here's what it looks like. Here are attributes. So those were attributes, if you will, of a sand ballot. Here are attributes of a builder. And I'm not gonna take time to write all these down because it would just take too long. And we're gonna go to verse 17 of chapter two in Nehemiah. Go back to verse 17 of chapter two. And if we could pull that up on the screen, this is gonna give us all three of these in these Two verses, we're going to read verse 17 and 18. If you would just look up here at the screen. It says, and I said to them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and, it, and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be reproached. Now, this is after, after Nehemiah began to release what was happening. He began to talk to people and say, God sent me here. I'm here to rebuild the wall. And then this was the response. Uh, 
to that was Nehemiah sp- uh, speaking, and this was how they, the people responded. And I told them of the hand of my God, <clears throat> which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. I'm going to give you three things out of this one passage of scripture here that are attributes of a builder, and then I'm going to give you two more after that. Number one attribute of a builder is that they see the need. See, there's a difference between a spectator only observes, but a builder and a Nehemiah, they see. You ever looked, <laughs> you ever looked at a, a Where's Waldo picture book or whatever? I used to love those when I was a kid. Going in and then finding Waldo, and he had this, the striped red and white stripe. I have a family member that has a Waldo shirt, and every time I'm like, there's Waldo. But anyways... <laughs> You can observe that picture without seeing Waldo. You can sit and observe, be a spectator, watch what's going on, but never really see the need that is there. Help me, Jesus. And this is the reason why (laughs) you can have seven different people walk over a mess. Come on, you got this in your own house, right? Shh, shh, shh. I don't have to practice what I preach, okay? But seriously, you can, in your own house, you can relate to this. You can have, I mean, I, and I don't want to point any fingers, but, you know, I can go down in the basement where... All of the wildebeests are down there and watching movies or whatever down in the basement. And there will be spilled drinks. There will be popcorn flung all over or whatever. And they'll just walk past it. Every one of them will walk past it. (laughs) Now, I know that they saw it because they're the ones that put it there. But they didn't really see it. And it's the same thing in you know, in, in a church, literally in a facility to where you can have dirt, spills, whatever. I know this is super practical. And five people will walk past it and be like, huh, who's going to clean that up? A builder? A builder will clean it up. A spectator won't do it, but a builder will. Everybody say, I'm not condemned, but my eyes are being opened. Hallelujah. So one thing, the first thing that a builder does is they see the people and the builders that became the builders for Nehemiah, they saw, they saw the need. Number two is they identified the leader. Now he identified it for them because he says, and and I told them of the hand of God, of my God, which had been good upon me. And so they saw, and Nehemiah helped them see, but they saw that Nehemiah was the one that was called to lead them. Now, this might sound really simple, but if you are going to become a builder, that doesn't mean you're the architect. As a matter of fact, the builder, in almost all cases, is not the architect. A builder is the one who takes the plans of the architect and then implements the plans of the architect. But if they don't recognize where the leader is and who the leader is and who the one is that's, that's passing out the vision and that's laying things out, <laughs> they'll come in and they'll just be like a, a random person flying around doing whatever. And you can't get things done on a team if you're doing that. 
And sometimes it's not with any wrong or ill intentions. It's just, it hasn't come to the understanding that like, oh, okay, what they're saying is what we actually need to do. I found this out with following other people. This is strong language, but I've learned to not interpret, try to interpret what they're saying, but simply to just do what they're saying. You should always follow a leader if they're telling you to do something, unless it's unscriptural, unethical, immoral. Should I tell them this? It's kind of my secret. I'll tell you my secret. I'll tell you my secret. When it comes to advancing people, because I'm in the business of advancing people. That's my heart, really. I want to see people come in, grow, and launch people. I haven't done as much of it as I want to, but that really is my heart. I believe that's part of the mandate that's on my life. But you know that I'm not going to, and I have in the past, but I won't do it anymore. I'm not going to advance somebody into taking care of people if they're not even willing to clean the toilet. I'm not going to give someone stewardship over somebody's soul if they're not willing to steward some basic practical things in life. I wouldn't set somebody in leadership over people in the church to where I have to give them instructions there if they've not been willing to receive instructions like don't bring sanctuary water into the sanctuary. It's not about the water. Or, I'm sorry, only bring water in the sanctuary. Y'all look at me like, wait, we can't bring water in the sanctuary? You can bring water in the sanctuary. I meant other things. Thank you, Jesus. We like to keep things nice and clean, but it's not about that. I watch. Are they willing to follow simple instructions? Because when instructions are given and they're not followed, it reveals one of two things. It reveals either that person cannot receive and follow simple instructions or they have heart, they have rebellion in their heart. If you won't, let me show you this verse in Luke chapter 16. Everybody say, I'm enjoying this. Because my spirit, man, bears witness. Everybody say, I'm enjoying this. Because my spirit, man, bears witness. Look here in Luke 16 in verse 12. Actually, we'll start in verse 11. It says, therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, In context, this is talking about money, but there's a principle of faithfulness that applies. If you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Stewardship is the principle, is the basis for promotion in the kingdom of God. Because stewardship represents and reflects faithfulness. I found something out really important. Because this is how God is. God never at any point in my life ever promoted me because of the anointing that's on me. He's never promoted, promoted me because of the gifting that he's placed in me. You know how he's promoted me every time I've been promoted? I've shown myself faithful. I've been faithful in the little things 
And he's increased the measure of which I can be faithful of even more. So I just found something out when I'm, when I'm looking. I'm just letting you all in on some secrets here. When I'm looking, because I'm looking for a few good men, <laughs> a few good women to build with me. But I've learned that I can't put people in charge of people if they are not willing to be in charge of sweeping and vacuuming and doing things like that. And listen, it's not just about doing it, but it's about how you do it. I don't want this to sound cultish, but I'm going to do it anyways. Everybody say, I love love. you, Pastor Kent. (laughs) And I mostly love Jesus, but you're a tight second. (laughs) Well, we can have a little fun, can't we? Talk about serious things. You have to add in a little bit of humor to make everybody just be okay. It's not just that you do it. It's how you do it. What my children don't understand when they're really young, but as they get older, they do. I can mow the grass. But I want them to mow the grass so when they don't mow the grass right, because no kid ever mows the grass right the first time. We can do the dishes, but we want them to do the dishes. Why? So that when they don't do it right the first time, we can say, look, thank you for showing up but let's go the extra mile and be faithful to do the job right because if you'll be faithful in this, watch how God will increase you in your life. Amen. Amen. This is good. It's very good. It's all from the Bible. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm almost out of time, but I'm gonna give you a couple more things here. We'll hit Nehemiah next week. We're just going to talk about, because the roof is going to come off the place when I talk about Nehemiah. Oh, when you see Nehemiah's heart, it'll make you fall on the ground and weep. That's what he did. (laughs) But a builder is one who sees the need, identifies the leader, and sets their hand to to the work. That's another step. You could see something, and I kind of just said this, but you can see something that needs to be done, but then still choose not to do the thing that needs to be done. Amen. There's some messages you don't preach for, a, for amens, even though I said amen, and you know I, that's a cue for you to say amen, but you just say it because it's right and we just need to hear it. I've talked to many pastors, and the hardest messages that they have to minister are ones about structure, about authority, about, about people coming in line, things like this, because people always think. I mean, I, I've, and I've had these conversations more times than I care to admit. People always think that when you're talking about things being in divine order, you're going, people think, and they say, oh, well, you just think I should be uh, in submission to you. Yes, I do. What do you think submission is? Well, submission is where you rule over me. No, that's not what submission is. People don't understand what submission is. The word submission is broken into two parts. Sub means under. Think about a submarine or a sub sandwich. When you eat it, it goes under, if you will. I don't know. Don't forget that one. That one doesn't fit. That one doesn't fit. A submarine is under, right? It's under the the water. So submission is coming underneath of the mission. But if you don't identify the leader as the one who's called and anointed by God to take the mission 
and, and come underneath of them, then you'll always come in and you'll go out kicking and screaming and everything that they're telling you to do. Because you'll think, oh, they're trying to roll over me. No, they're not. They're trying to move forward with what God says needs to be moved forward with. And they're just looking for a few good men and good women to say, here I am and I'll do it. And unfortunately, there's been abuses to where people have been like, I just, I just, I just can't go there. And I really feel for people who have not been able to come to a point in their life to say, I will submit to the vision of the house and I will submit to you as my leader. I feel for people like that because the greatest measure of growth has come in my life being submitted underneath of people. Not for them to rule over me and control me. You don't ever let anybody control you, but you do let people lead you. You do let godly, God-fearing, anointed people lead you and you will go further in your life than you ever thought possible. And if Liz and I are the God-fearing, anointed people, and you recognize that, why in the world wouldn't you come underneath of us? I'm not coming down on anybody. I'm just trying to give us a little bit more understanding. Amen? Amen. Everybody say, it's good. It's well with my soul. I'm going to give you two more things quickly, and then we'll end. Two more things concerning a builder. Number one, they see the need. Number two, they identify the leader. Number three, they set their hand to the work. And number four is found in verse six of chapter four. Let's pull up verse six of chapter four. It says, so we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. And this was at a certain point in the process for the people had a mind to work. A builder is someone who has a mind to work. This is totally, completely, this is a culture, this actually is a cultural problem. It's a cultural problem in the church. So really what, what, what an apostle's job is, is to come in and bring kingdom culture to where it becomes the dominant culture in people's lives and not a subculture to the culture that's around us. That's actually the job of an apostolic calling. And we're, this is an apostolic church and it is Western mentality. You have to understand you are a Westerner and I'm not against Westerners. I love Westerners. I'm a Westerner. I like Western movies. So it's, it's fine. It's no problem. Sometimes I hear people talk about Eastern Western mentality and they're like trying to down me. It's like, no, I am a Westerner and I'm proud to be a Westerner. But there's pros and cons of that. And one of the cons is, is that we are more about observing than we are doing. It's just part of our culture. We like to sit and watch TV. We like to go to the movies and sit and watch. We like to watch sporting events. And sometimes we like to watch other people work. But builders, are, come on now. Builders are ones that come in and they have a mind to work. Work to get? No, work because they've been blessed by God and they want to be a blessing to the, to the body, to the people that God has called them to be. Can you all receive what I'm saying? Amen. There was a point when I don't think I could have ministered this without having frustration in my heart. You know, you can minister through different filters. I'm not frustrated at all. I want to enlighten you to where you're not just observing, but you are seeing. Oh, that's what we need to do. Amen. Number five, and this is the last one, we'll quit. And this is, oh man, I'd love to take a whole message for this. This is awesome. The same chapter, verse 17, Nehemiah 4 and 17. And actually, we'll look at 17 and 18. It says, those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. 
Verse 18, every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. You know what a real true builder in the kingdom of God is? Is one who will build and work but keep their eyes open at the same time. Because at the same time, and there's this amazing dynamic when you look at uh, David and Solomon. David was warring, and it was hard for him to build. Solomon wasn't at war, and he at war, and he built the most glorious building that's ever existed in the history of mankind. So if you don't ever have to war, you can do glorious things with building. And that's a that's a that's a dynamic that the further we walk together, the less warring and the more building we can do. But always be mindful of the enemy coming and the people around you are not your problem. It's just the enemy that would try to come in and disrupt what it is that the Lord's doing. Because you, they couldn't build that wall by, Nehemiah couldn't build that wall by himself. It's a huge wall. I don't know how big it was, but it was a huge wall. And if you go and you read in chapter, chapter three, and you'll see about this person did this, and this house did this, and these priests did this, and this household did this, and it goes on and on and on and on. They all took a part, they all took a share, and they built a part of the wall, but they did it side by side with everybody else. And they were always had their, and it was, it was a natural reality to paint a spiritual picture. They always had their sword, had their sword in one hand and their hammer in the other because they were building and at the same time, the enemy was trying to destroy them and keep them from building the wall because once the wall is built, the enemy can't come in. If we build something so strong and mighty, everybody say together. If we build it together, it will keep the enemy out. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, we're out of time. This is awesome. Man, I love this. Word of God is awesome. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you. You know what? Thank you for being the kind of people that are willing to sit and listen to the wisdom of God. I've been preaching for an hour. You know that most churches, most churches and most people, they will not go for more than like 20 or 30 minutes. But you guys can take it. So if they're going half the time, at the end of a year, they've only got half the wisdom of what you guys have got because you're willing to listen. Love you. Bless you. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we're making a difference, visit ociperryville.com.